competitive 40K network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. And now your host, Tim Penny and the Art of War coaches. Hello, everyone, and welcome to an Art of War podcast. I am your host, the one, the only, the Brown Magic original, Nick Manavati. I'm filling in for our usual host, Tim Penny, today because Tim is feeling a bit under the weather. I'm joined today by Mr. John Lennon, the boy king, the one who has won it all in recent history, and he is here as our white scar aficionado while we interview Rafael Rafaza who has also just won undefeated with an awesome White Scars list. Slightly different version to yours, John. I'm very excited to talk about it. Raphael, how are you doing? I'm very well, Nick. Uh, thank you very much for having me on. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. Not a problem. For those of you who don't know, um, John is currently ranked number one in the ITC. He's done a ton of events with White Scars, and uh, is generally just a very effective art award coach over here. So he's well qualified to be asking Raphael all the hard questions in part one over here, we're going to go through the overall strategy to Raphael's list, what he took, why he took it, how it works, what do white scars. And then in part two, we're going to go through all of his individual matchups. That's for Patreon subscribers as well as War Room and uh, website subscribers of ours only. Uh, and this is where we're going to get into the, all the good stuff, how he plays specific matchups, what strats to use, tactics, and things of that nature. So I guess without further ado, let's get into it. Raphael, why don't you break down what your list is? Sure. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, in essence, it's, uh, it looks terrifyingly like a couple of Indominus boxes put together. But uh, it's, a, it's a White Scars Battalion uh, with, of course, Kasara Khan and then, uh, I guess, what would you call him? The, the Power Sword uh, Storm Shield Lieutenant with Rites of War and Plume of the Plains Runner, uh, Master of Sanctity, Chaplain on Bike with Wise Orator. Uh, Mantra Strength and Canticle of Hate, um, uh, and Chagorian Storm in there as well. Um, in the troop section, very simple, two Assault Intercessor squads and an Infiltrator squad. Uh, the Elites were three units of four Bladeguard Veterans, two units of five Vanguard Vets with Lightning Claws and Storm Shields and Jump Packs, and then had two units of Company Veterans, just two, two by two, naked, and... Heavy support of six Eradicators with a standard Melter Rifle, a Whirlwind with a Castellan Launcher, a Landspeeder Storm, and a Calexus Assassin to round that up. Wow, that's a... Uh, it looks like a White Scars list at first glance, and then there's all kinds of weird choices I don't understand, so I'm super eager to, to get right into it. John, why don't you lead us off? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I always love, you know, single White Scar lists because they have so much versatility as a chapter. Um, you know, they, they've got so many different options. They've been pretty successful um, for quite a while now. Ever since 9th edition came out, White Scars have really stood as one of the premier chapters, even as other chapters got their own codex supplement to 9th edition. My first question about uh, your army is really just going to be a pretty general one. How does it normally play on the battlefield? Um, you know, respectively, you know, irrespective of the opponent, just going into a game, what is your list supposed to do? Uh, how does it normally look on the battlefield? That's a very good question that's evolved, John. Um, the fundamentals now, I mean, I have enough rubbish in there to allow me to play the, the engage rod game without losing anything that's too valuable in itself. And, but the, fundamentally, in the games where it goes best, it's a case of trying to bully the midboard. A real focus on, on the primary above all else, really, uh, because that is the, 
I find the best way to put your opponent on the back foot is to constantly go after uh, sort of the midfield and sort of make sallies into their side of the table onto the primary and just have, I guess, a sheer volume of medium to light combat units that can, well, they can all die. and Not, not any one particular one of them matters too much, but they can all also hit above their weight class. So it's basically a midfield brawl, <laughs> to put it uh, very simply. Um, hey, I'm all about the midfield brawl. <laughs> White Scars do it better than most because they're just a little bit faster than your average mm. Space Marine, and that, uh, that advance and charge really adds up. Um, something that uh, I noticed, you know, we've seen quite a few uh, White Scar lists, uh, you know, do well across the you know, past couple months, and there's always some common elements, but uh, also you've got some things that are a little bit different. Uh, most notably, I would say, is that you have less Vanguard veterans mm. than you normally see. Uh, you have significantly less uh, Volkite Contemporary Dreadnoughts <laughs> than your average Space Marine list. Um, I actually thought that your list was over points because uh, I assumed there was a Volkite Contemporary Dreadnought in it uh, because I haven't read a Marine list without one in, I don't know, about six or seven months. You're not wrong. Um, I, I tested out the um, around the same time, I think, as, as Oliver rocked the scene with, with 30 vanguards and, and triple contemptors. Um, I was running that in sort of practice games. And it's mostly a playstyle thing. I and partially keep thinking that if you're going to run Dreadnought shooting support, you know, whilst they, of course, as, as you've shown, great uh, with White Scars, they're even better with other, other Space Marine factions. And I made the classic mis newbie mistake of painting my White Scars as White Scars. So it was a bit of a wrench to, uh, to try to use them as something else. I struggle a bit with dedicated and sort of shooting platform vehicles because user error and or opponent good dice, I guess, can completely nuke you out of that, right? So in theory, I know the math says it shouldn't happen, but in theory, what, uh, a raider and its contents can just clear, kill a contemptor in a round uh, in, the, in sort of the Drakari matchup where, of course, they were popular to try to demac. And I've had that happen to me too many times. So I, I get weary of investing into vehicles when I think I take a step back and I look at Marines and I know White Scars are good because they have the flexibility and they can, they can do that brawl. And I've watched a lot of your games and can see how they can perform really well. For me, trying to compete with armies that outmath me in, in other elements meant I had to really focus on combat overshooting. Uh, the UK, from my gathering, I'm new to the scene, but just sort of doing my research going into this, there's a, a lot of, Manny Chima's buggy, this may be an extreme, but there's a lot of pure, I'm going to throw enough dice that's going to kill all your vehicles. You know, they've got enough movement now with Admech prowling, prowling, pardon me, around, that I was wary of that. So I'm, that part of that, so the Volkite thing was largely stubbornness. The um, Vanguard vet issue was... A meta call, a lot of my, well, I've, a lot of the games I've played going into this and sort of expecting to see is Dreadnoughts on the other side, a lot of Custodes and Death Guard. And I was struggling to kill Dreadnoughts, to put it very simply, um, and, and, and minus one damage stuff. So whilst Vanguard Vets are, you know, I'm not here, I'm going to sit here and argue that they're not great in, in White Scars, the... Um, I really lent into that damage three from turn three onwards with, with the blade guard. 
Makes sense going for more blade guard for that extra damage. I think that's an interesting thing you hit on with white scars in general. Like if you take the kind of net list for white scars, which is just vanguard vets and contenders until you run out of points. Um, what you'll find with it is that it's almost entirely damage too, just right across the board. There's mortal wounds, there's real wounds, there's a lot of attacks, so you can get around that by just weight of dice. But it is just a bucket of damage too, so it is incredibly vulnerable to minus one damage death guard, which isn't too popular. Dreadnoughts are very popular. But you've gone for a more diversified weapon profile kind of repertoire with Radicators doing melta shots and blade guard being three damage each. While still having like some vanguard, of course. So I think that's actually a really interesting choice there. What kind of led you to that? Well, I was doubting it going in because it looked suspiciously like a photo of an army you'd see in White Dwarf. You know, it has one vehicle in the back, a little transporter, <laughs> a smattering of different types of. Uh... That's my favorite kind of. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, something I think you, you spoke with, with Skari once uh, in, in one of these things or one of your podcasts is I, I like having options. Uh, so it was about being MSU enough. You know, I think, once again, the maths is pretty tricky when you're trying to create a Death Star. And this is you know, far from what I started off, you know, beginning of lockdown, when I knew I was going to this and started planning lists. It, it looked very different uh, to this going in. But also knowing that if, by miracle or luck or skill, I ended up doing relatively okay at this event, I'd be playing on the London GT terrain, which the top set of... Um, tables at this event had. I, there was a, I guess the, the commonality between the different layouts is the two large ruins in the center, which I thought with Blade Guard would also force me to be a bit more patient. I think a lot of games I've lost with White Scars when I was running more Vanguard Vets is trying to go too all in too early. And having an army that couldn't really do that so well, that would have to position, would then make, force me to take a step, take a breath, and, uh, and sort of post up and then to be able to then threaten, as I said, the, the primaries that I like to go after, the, the objectives. So I want to take a second and ask you about your Eradicators. It's a 270 <laughs> point unit that yeah. I personally don't like at all, and I really have never seen it used in White Scars, so I need to, I need to understand what's going on here. Well, I don't like them either now, uh, so there's that. Uh, the <laughs> Did I just ruin your opinion <laughs> on them? <laughs> no, it's... Um, uh, no, I, I didn't like... Um, they were a late edition. I was taking more towards, well, I was trying to work out how to deal with Admech, uh, Skitari Hordes, to the point where I'd gone back and finished painting up my Inceptors, despite the fact that, what is it now, a single Plasma Inceptor costs about the same as an Admech Chicken. Um, and I thought it was a, sort of the price I'd have. Like yeah, <laughs> it's upsetting. Um, but then, of course, the, the new veteran rules came out and the blast went out the window. And I was still having trouble with Dreadnought Bodies and knights. Um, I've had a, a rough track record in the, in the lead up to this, trying to kill Majeras and, and the like, and you never know if you're going to come across one of those. So it was more a case of I'd, I'd settled on roughly 1,700 points of the list and trying to work out what fire support I could bring in. Now, of course, two Volkites would, would be a solution, but they are still at that two damage, not that higher strength profile. So I went with one unit of six eradicators with the idea that it would give me an option to one CP and circle, come on from a flank and sort of dump 12 melter shots into a, into a target if I was playing an army that had a single sort of target to go after. 
position it right and you get sort of the the captain and, and lieutenant bubbles in there to to really hopefully mess something up in practice i tend to use them as combat squatted almost distraction pieces uh, opponents tend to rate eradicators more than i think the users of eradicators i think that's pretty uniform so i found that a lot of effort is spent either killing them or keeping out of range of them so you have these sort of two nuisance units in the backfield sort of hanging around threatening to you know, maybe pop a radar maybe you know shoot at a at a, at a bigger vehicle but in a lot of the times they uh i think just end up putting banners and staying out of the way until i play knights and then they helped. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can certainly see where that is the, the right matchup for them. Um, you know, I, I, I'll admit, uh, you know, Nick beat me to the punch. I was going to ask him questions about the Eradicators myself. I do like your answer, though. Um, and I, I think you're 100% right. I think that every player who uses Eradicators remembers the time that they rolled a couple twos to hit and then a one on damage. And everyone who played against Eradicators remembers the one time that they rolled nothing but sixes. <clears throat> so definitely, you know, using that little bit of a disconnect between each player's perception of the unit, and especially whenever you have a swing unit, your opponent has to respect what could happen, <clears throat> even though you, the player using it, is probably planning on what is most likely to happen. Uh, you never want to, you know, bet on it going average, and then have it go way above, and suddenly you lose an entire McCara because you didn't respect three Eradicators. Um, my, uh, I guess my question would be, uh, I kind of wanted to, before I go into some wider questions, I did want to hammer on one more unit in your list, and that would be specifically the Whirlwind. Um, I, I'm going to assume that the Whirlwind is there because you like the command point to uh, make something fight last, uh, both as a combination of offensively stopping people from uh, just, you know, interrupting you. Let's say you wanted a multi-charge, of course, you can make something fight last. Or maybe if you shoot something before it comes in, you can make it fight last, make it a little harder to counter-charge. But I have to ask, how often did it actually come up? How valuable was it? Because the Whirlwind is one of those units that, for me as a White Scars player, always is one of those things that I check the points on when I'm writing a list, and then never actually makes the cut. I had the same feeling with it for, for the longest time. I think in my first White Scars list, as I started ramping up, waiting for the lockdown to end here in the UK, I, I had one in my list early on, and then exactly the same, sort of 125 points. You, know, you, could, you could do other things with it. The, in this event... And in the lead up to it, I think it was a key role in either three or four of the, the games. Um, and I think, it's, I think it's actually to do with the, the build of the list. You know, unlike, I guess, most White Scars lists and, and, and the ones I've seen you use, it's not that fast. It's fast, but, you know, I do only have two Vanguard Vet units and, and one of them regularly starts off the table. So one on the table. I'm not doing too many sort of targeted strikes on, a, on an objective's, on an opponent's sort of key unit or, or positional play. I do try to, I guess something that Nick likes to talk about, try to complicate the, the table state uh, for my opponents because... It's coding my strategy <laughs> sessions. It's oh, making me so proud. Um, and this is me going in, you know, I've been a competitive gamer for a long time, but I'm, this is my first year into, into 40K. So I'm um, knowing that I'm going in with a sort of experience disadvantage with, with a lot of people and trying to not play the obvious way. So the ability to force engagement on potentially three fronts at the same time, because the Colexus is there for the very same reason, the, um, was actually pivotal to sort of launching sort of broad attacks across 
two or three opponent objectives or contested objectives and being able to strike at least get the first punch in at each point um and tied to it because it's it's a lot of sort of medium to light combat elements being able to gang up on one thing for example the final round i played against triple magera and being able to just make it fight last and then you know jump on it with five units and be able to strike before it gets to do anything was uh was a key part of it i, w- I was very unsure um when I was finishing painting it, but um, it was surprisingly useful. The chip damage, you know, it's not 125 points worth, but you know, it does every now and then help against you know witches that aren't in their raiders anymore, or you know, some repenture here and there. But um, I could absolutely see that. I think there's there's a lot of trash in the game. The game has gone away from just space marines versus space marines. Um, toughness three, kind of garbage. Units running around doing actions and screening the backfield, holding backfield objectives, using walls and line of sight to stay alive. The whirlwind is actually decent at picking that up. Um, like witches don't really have saves in their toughness three. Um, did you find like you were using them to kind of constrict your opponents like trash units and make them have to use real effective units to like do backfield nonsense jobs? Is that kind of like the what it did for you aside from making people fight last? It, well, that was the plan going in. I think in the reality of this event that didn't come up too often uh, because there was the, the nature of being that uh, I guess going for that midfield brawl is that there's always something that you need to deal with sort of coming back at you. Um, one, but one early game, for said, example, okay. I, I you know if there was for example against sisters early game, you know if they're not actually in charge range yet with their dice, um, you know just being able to just put some damage you know while you're still ap1 in the first turn you know go pick up a handful of uh, of sisters who happen to be sitting on an objective so they have to go and put some more assets over there in case you repeat that was handy one thing you said which i thought was really interesting and i wanted to ask about was your collexus um mm. what well first what is it doing here but then you mentioned it kind of plays in tandem with the whirlwind because it's a couple different ways of fight last yes um, does that ever actually come up and just yes. once you break us down the collexus whirlwind combo thing so the the Calexis, of course, famously uh, anti psyker But the thing, the reason I took it is actually it's got a, I believe, two CP stratagem for a three inch bubble of fight last at the beginning of the combat phase. So the Calexis is actually key in a lot of different ways. Firstly, it's such a low priority thing for opponents to kill. You know, you can only hit it on sixes. It doesn't do that much. You know, the, the output is is beyond negligible. And and even its anti-psyker thing isn't great. It doesn't give you denies or anything. It just sort of makes it harder to cast if you're if you're further away. So quite often I'd find it useful to keep it sort of buried within my units, so that if stuff when stuff came in, you just make sure that in the units around it couldn't be engaged from where they were coming coming from, without getting in in engagement range. Um, and it was useful for assassination plays, sort of tag teaming in with Kosara Khan, for example, to to kill Drazar or something like that, so that you can go in if you've got the CP. And I wasn't spending too many CP on, on much else other than the occasional transhuman. That um, it was just very handy, you know, sort of having the two. I wanted. I was very very worried about going in with sort of small combat units. It's a very killy game right now. That if someone did decide to pick up the whirlwind, which largely went untargeted for the same reasons and that it's quite a low priority target and that it doesn't do much other than the suppressing fire. 
that I'd then have a way to either be able to go into two points at once and, and prevent any interrupts, or have that pocket hiding, lurking within the units, get to punch a repent your unit before it gets to strike type situation. So it was it was a last minute addition. I had been running the Calidus, but um, it worked out in the end. It was uh, I never thought I'd spend the two CP, but in essence, it, it probably came up in about half my games. I've used the Calexis a couple times, and I find the fight last had just it wasn't coming up ever because he was never getting in combat at the same time that something I've cared about was getting in combat because he just he moves what seven inches and doesn't advance and charge in this hmm. army and doesn't fly. Um, I guess with all your blade guard, it's not yeah, relatively as slow. Yeah, it was yeah. It, it largely came in late game, so you know when you thread, threaded some punches in the midfield. And you just have sort of remnants of units left and right uh, on both sides. And then having him lurking on an objective when yeah. a handful of, let's say, Incubi or, or Witches or a character, Succubus, is coming in to clear it out of the whatever's left. At that point, it became valuable. When when things were more at full strength or when we were doing, the I guess, the more classic... White Scar sort of probing strike into the backfield or to target a, an objective with a you know, potentially 16-inch plus move and then a charge. Um, there he definitely, there he was more regu relegated pardon me, to, uh, to sitting an objective duty, um, to be honest. He's a, he's a decent like, objective sitter because, you know, once again, yeah, it's uh, such a low-priority thing to, to shoot, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's hit on sixes, four pinville, you can't just smite him away. It's it's very obnoxious to actually deal with him. Back in the day, we're talking like 8th edition, I used to run three of the things and just like score a million engage points in behind enemy <laughs> lines, and it's like, this is really annoying for you. <laughs> yeah. I think, right. was, I think he was only targeted once in my five games of this event, actually. Um, and that's because my opponent had nothing else to see him being very yeah. useful, like... A lot of times your opponent will will charge something into your lines and you need to deal with that, right? So that's one combat that's going to happen. And then if you want to simultaneously launch a strike onto your opponent's side, like like you said, the Vanguard that's flying across the table and charging a backfield objective, then you have two combats going on. You don't want to get interrupted in either in either case. And having the Calexus right there to solve the one problem for you in your own deployment zone, that could be really helpful. Exactly, yeah. I mean, the delete... I guess the, the list largely operates like a swarm of bees. And you know, delaying how long before someone gets to swat you back can actually make quite a big difference. I like <laughs> it. Um, moving on a little bit, you know, I know uh, you were already talking about using the Calexis just for a little bit of annoying mm. secondary play. Uh, what secondaries did you actually find you were usually using with the list? Um, Marines are usually in a fairly good spot. Your list doesn't look like it gives up many secondaries to the opponent. What did you normally take? So this was a, a big shift. I sort of went into this expecting to, to do, I guess, more of the classic um, engage rod and, and then find another um, plan. Um, I quickly, to keep it topical, I guess, YOLO'd into um, actually going doubling down on that aggression. So I, I tried to make oath plays regardless of objectives. So obviously oath is a your natural choice for uh, for the objectives with the objective in the in the center, but I've got enough trash in the list that I found that if you put enough pressure forward, where you're threatening the stuff that actually quote unquote matters, 
sort of the nonsense stuff that gets put in the, uh, you know, within six inches of the, that center, is becomes once again a low priority target for your opponent. You know? So oath, and then just doubling down on that, going for stranglehold as often as possible, um, even when it's. Yeah, I don't have any shooting, really. So it is a case of having to go over there and punch people off objectives. But because I was trying to target the opponent's primary score as well, that ended up tying in nicely. So re almost regardless, you know, six objectives or, or whatever the, the number of objectives on a uh, on any given mission was. Um, I, I'm all in favor of taking stranglehold over engage mm. uh, in a lot of cases. I think a lot of players gravitate towards engage because it's... It's fairly easy to do and natural to do and not... I mean, it just, it's pretty easy. Mm. But I think Stranglehold is very synergistic with how you play the game, right? You, especially in an all-combat army, you can't just shoot someone off the objectives. You have to go over there and punch them off. And by virtue of going over there and punching them off, you've probably ended your turn on the majority of the objectives. Otherwise, you're giving them 15s. So Stranglehold, at least I found with Dark Galdar and White Scores and Dark Galdar, have actually a lot of similarities. I think... Uh, makes a lot of sense. What, where you lost me was taking oath in objectives that don't have a middle objective yep. and they're all over the place. Um, can you, why? So, well, John, you know, you take oath, like, let's converse. Yeah, I mean, look, oath is, is one of those, right, that when it came out, it was, I guess probably the internet was screaming that it was broken. Now there's a real, I, going into this event, I hesitated to take it even when it was a sensible choice, unless it was a, you know, one of those um, sweep and clear or something where it's just you're going for the middle anyway um, the because of the, the the lack of choice about who goes first of course makes a big difference once again this ties a bit into the terrain uh, and those large um, ruins that tended to be sort of around the uh, the center point of the board on the London GT terrain set that uh, I know uh, the art of walk has been doing some some stuff on recently the um this ties into two things. One is just if enough is going on in the sort of my opponent's half of the board, going after, for example, two company vets that are sort of unobtrusively standing just within six inches of the, of the middle of the table is just a, a low percentage play for the opponent because it gives me two points that they survive, but it gives them nothing else. And there's other stuff to kill. I've got... As I said, I guess, you know, 10 light to medium combat units, you could call it, sort of across the table on, on the objectives. So going after that land speed of storm, that you know, the company vets or, or whatever it is that's sort of in there was rarely a high priority. And then on top of that, made the terrain allowed for some quite good plays with the company veterans bodyguard rule to post up a character for a turn or two if they weren't in immediate sort of charge range or something that's too deadly in the early game, to just sit in the open just within six, within three inches of a unit that they can't see. And, yeah, it's, it's surprisingly... Yeah, well, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've actually, you know, Nick was incredulous at the idea, but I've actually found that Oath of Moment usually gets me a higher score when there isn't a center objective, if I'm being honest with you. Because exactly that, it's so outside of my opponent's priority that when there's a storm sitting, you know, six inches from the center, but still kind of on my half, and then there's a blade guard on their objective and vanguard threatening them from a building, 
and eradicators in line of sight, in your example, yeah. um, it's very hard to actually put resources into that storm or those company veterans, especially if you happen to be able to fit them out of line of sight, then they're just probably going to live there. And uh, even if they're in line of sight, you know, who has the time? It's exactly that. Yeah, exactly that. Um, and that's... Uh... Well, I guess it's where I ended up. counterintuitive yeah. thinking, but yeah. it does make sense. I like that. Yeah. I've often found that when there's a center objective, uh, most of those missions involve uh, secondary points for the center objective as well, such as, you know, direct assault. Um, and when I start putting things in the middle that way, if my opponent's not killing me off of it, I'm probably winning the game because I'm suddenly getting 15s on primary, and I might then have combat units close enough to them. So I actually find I get a lesser score because whatever I throw in the middle at that point might as well be on the objective. And then my opponent has to go all out to kill it, otherwise they're kind of getting run over. Yeah, with the center objective missions, you you are relying on that first go first, go second dice roll for maxing out easily both, right? Uh, because if you're going first, they are going to clear you out the middle because they, that's where they want to be. Um, whereas if you're going second, it's still, I guess, fine. But um, I was... The one I hadn't normally taken before this was Stranglehold because it does you know, burn a, put a fire underneath you and, and force you to do stuff. Whereas, as Nick said, it's it's much easier to play the the engage rod game. Um, the the third secondary uh, was is an issue for my list. I mean, a lot of it's a lot of the time is looking for for a mission one that that is favorable. Um, I twisted myself in knots going into this, trying to to make a while we stand white scars list that could remotely work. I was work. about to ask, but, where is uh, this while we stand? I love while we stand. Well, I think while we stand is probably well in my my view the single most powerful thing in the game if you've got the right access to it um so i had all sorts of lists with this is before and then it changed a bit when they when they changed it so you don't get the full five but uh, you know all sorts of lists ranging from big units of terminators of all things that you could then you know, teleport one out if, if you're getting in trouble and infiltrators to guerrilla tactics off the board with half of them for for a game that's going wrong just to make sure you have those 15 but uh i'm acutely aware that everything in this list dies so, <laughs> so that doesn't work. Yeah. I like it. Um, moving on, I, I actually uh, want to talk about uh, some of the other command points. We've talked a lot about how you would use the different fight last ones from a couple of the units, you know, we talked mm -hmm. about earlier. Um, in, well, first off, actually, how many command points does your army start with? Nine. Nine? Okay. Yeah. Pretty healthy number, especially for space marines nowadays. This is what happens when you don't have any of those relic vehicles floating around. <laughs> um, but beyond that, you know, beyond the fight lasts, what stratagems did you uh, did you actually find like were used often? Which ones maybe every once in a while? Which ones did you well? You don't have to tell me which ones you never use. <laughs> yeah, no, the um, it, it's it's been, it felt great. You know, starting the game, going up to ten CP turn one uh, felt felt fantastic. It's uh, it was a new feeling. I normally I used to run an apothecary um, until the points got quite as crazy as they are. Um, it was an interesting feeling because largely I could play it by ear. So if you budget, you know, I, I rarely spent five, but if you sort of presume that your free one is going to suppression fire, suppressing fire every turn, what I tended to do is against, you'd pro probably spend over the course of a game sort of three to four on a transhuman either to just try to make uh, get the efficiencies on your side against the shooting, playing against lots of out-of-line-of-sight, sort of Eldar shooting or, or whatever it is, um, to try to hope that the Storm Shields fall in your favor and they have to put too much into uh, too much firepower into a target. 
um, made quite a lot of use of the stratagem that you'll have to remind me the name of, John, the, the, the 3D6 scar, the lowest charge. Um, Ooh, I want to say it's like tip of the spear. Sounds about right. The, the great stratagem. Um, but that, that it's is. such a great stratagem. I, I use it so often. <laughs> I hate that thing. Yeah, it was brilliant. Um, and I have been known to, but I, I don't think I did in this event, uh, use the auto-wound on sixes with Primaris units against very tough targets uh, with Blade Guard. Just all, all with the Assault Intercessors. Um, well, hey, if you're trying to kill a Knight or a Dreadnought, yeah. that's actually pretty good value. Yeah. Especially if you've got some rerolls on a Chaplain nearby. Exactly. And the Chaplain's key to everything, uh, really. Um, despite the fact that he likes to go, sometimes go off solo and die. But um, <laughs> so it was... Um, it was felt quite nice. It was quite reactive, you know, sort of on a, I would try to have one in the pocket for that long charge if needed and suppressing fire if I was going into multiple things or if they had, for example, a, a unit of Repentia sort of lurking with intent uh, somewhere. But otherwise it was mostly transhuman. Yeah. As a common opponent of Space Marines, I find a lot of Space Marine lists have uh, a lot of CP when they do these one battalion lists and just... Uh don't really spend all their Warlord trade and Relic slots and Relic contenders and stuff. And I find that they have no critical stratagems, really. It's just like a lot of, I'm better if I use a strat here. Like Transhuman just helps you out with math. 3d6 pick the highest on charges just helps you out with math. And that's most of their strats across the board. So with that, you're really just using your strats to increase the value of your units. Just make them better at whatever they're supposed to do. Make them more reliable mm -hmm. at it. Is that the general gist of your strats, or are there key stratagems that you built your strategy around? No, there aren't any that I've built strategy around. Um, I think there are some go-tos that I always think about, either beginning of the game with in Circle. Or um, I'm a huge fan of Butchered Quarry, which is the, you know, the hit something <laughs> that falls back. And uh, I always forget that exists. It gets me every time. And, and sometimes <laughs> it's even better when you just tell your opponent it exists and they get themselves in all sorts of, you know, even if you've got also no intent to use it. gets me every time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, um, those are the ones I keep mostly aware of. Um, I don't have, you know, when you're using Volkites, you, you're looking at changing you know, weapon types into assault, etc. Um, the way this list ended up, you know, I've made... You know, against the right sort of Eldar targets, I'm, I'm a fan of the Hammer of Wrath. That's still called that. The, the jet bike, uh, the jetpack uh, mortals on charges, but it is all quality of life improvements rather than uh, something that's built around. There is one strategy that I actually want to talk about with you because it's one that uh, my opinion has changed on a lot recently, and that's adaptive strategy. Uh, it's the two command point pick a unit, put it in all three doctrines. Uh, for white scars, it is most notably good for getting a unit to the plus one damage from Assault Doctrine on turn one or two. My question for you is, how often does that actually come up, and how often do you use it? I keep an eye out for it all the time. I'm in love with it, um, in the right situation. Um, similar to game I watched you play against Blood Angels. I think I mean, I've had a lot of games against, for example, Eldar, where... For example, a Farseer is just sort of poking out. And it's a gamble, right? Because you, you're, you're spending the CP in the, in the command phase before you know what your advance role is. But there are games that can be turned or, or at least made, you know, taken out of the question when you prepare to, and you've got enough CP that you can make that gamble, dump it, get the nice advance role, and then just remove a key, normally a key support piece for me. Uh, I like to go after the, the characters that will be just a pain in the bottom later on. So uh, it's something I look at, um, especially as either straight away, if they've got sort of gone first and moved up, and definitely in the second turn when 
hopefully um, now more in the midfield and more options uh, arise for it. But um, it's great on Vanguard Vets for White Scars. I mean, it's brilliant. So my take on it initially, uh, because I was, I was right when the Space Marine Codex came out, I was playing a ton of White Scars. I actually thought that it was a, a trap stratagem that you never actually needed to use. And um, I don't think I used the stratagem once for the first four months that I was playing White Scars uh, with the new Codex. And then I kind of took a break for them. I, I played a couple other armies. You know, I, I had a little foray with Ultramarines and some other Marine chapters. And I ended up coming back to Scars for a couple games. And I, I realized that the pace of the game felt like it had accelerated with Drukhari, Sisters, a lot more armies were kind of starting out aggressive. And I don't want to say that they're matching White Scars on speed, but they're at least fast enough to kind of make me make a decision early. Yeah. Whereas it used to be where White Scars could literally camp and hide and just be cute for two turns, and I was never worried about my opponent getting to me. Now it's like, yeah, I'm still fast enough to decide the, the combat, but if I just sit here and do nothing, well, that decision's going to be taken away from me. Exactly. And so I've actually found myself using the stratagem a lot in my last couple of games of White Scars, which was surprising because I never used it up until that point. And uh, something in the meta changed that uh, I think made it a lot more relevant for White Scars. I think it's a combination of that speed. You know, the, as you say, you know, they can get to you. Whilst you may, you know, I think the maths with all the various things, you know, we may be faster than Trikari or at least the same speed. The, the reality is that once they are out of the deployment zone, so they've got somewhere to post you know, in the midfield somewhere, the reality is they can get to you, right? Um, if they don't have to transfer the whole 24 inches across the entire table to get there. And I think I'll blame you for this, but uh, you know, dreadnoughts pushing up the midfield or Invicta warsuits are quite common now. And, um, and I have found that in practice games, you know, the, the ability to go, right, turn two, I can just make those blade guard damage three. And you know, I don't mind if I lose the 140 unit point unit blade guard, but I can't just have that thing walking around shooting all game. You know, make a make an assault on something comes up surprisingly often. Yeah. All right. I like it. I wanna cover that because you seem to have solved a, a problem in a counter or a counterintuitive way in my opinion, which is basically if someone's pushing up with dreadnoughts or something and forcing the issue as John put it and requires you to, to answer it, you can spend two CP and put yourself in assault doctrine and send some blame guard or vanguard vets on a one way plane ticket and trade with something. I'm all about keeping that open as an option. But why not just shoot the Dreadnought with multi-meltos? I mean, we have Eradicators. The Eradicators could also be attack bikes, which I do want to cover. But, like, wait, why is the answer put yourself in Assault Doctrine and fling yourself across the table before you're ready to do it as a holistic force? Why can't it just be shoot them? I mean, I, I think the answer in 40k can always be shoot them. Um, the In my army, I don't have enough shooting to rely on it, right? Uh, so quite often, I don't like keeping all... This is all terrain dependent, of course, but I don't. The beauty of the of the six eradicators that are then combat squad out quite often, well, always pretty much, uh, is that they are regularly in different parts of the table. So I'm not. I'm definitely not trusting, you know, three eradicators and some, some supporting fire to take down an Invicta warsuit, uh, and definitely not a Redemptor. Right, that's just not happening. In my, you know, in my experience, I'm not sure what the math says. Um, yeah, the math agrees with you. Yeah. Maybe with rerolls all over the place, yeah. it could happen and no invuls. So for me, a large part of this type of list is, I guess, getting more aggressive. <laughs> I've watched a lot of your games, Nick, so I know this is, this is uh, not something you're a huge fan of always. But you know, being quite aggressive and just getting in your opponent's face. But with 
without, but also trying to, um, I guess, to limit that so that you're not throwing your entire army out there where you, you, know, you throw a great haymaker, you pick up 700, 800 points, but then over the next three turns, your opponent tables you and, and wins the game. So having uh, these little darts, and sometimes it'll be sort of multiple units, one of which will have the extra damage, but it'll just be enough force applied to part of the table the opponent wasn't necessarily expecting you to go to, ideally you know, threatening an objective or you know, on it, ideally, of course, uh, or in cover. You then shift the focus of their fire. So if you send four Blade Guard Vets over there to, to go punch that Invicta and you manage to take it down, the opponent then has to shoot that, that unit, or at least deal with it, at which point, once again, between you know, the crazy maths on the Storm Shields, you never know which way they're going to go, and Transhuman, means that you can absorb quite a lot of focus away from the opponent doing what they want to do and whatever their grand plan is in dealing with this effective hand grenade that, or chew toys, I like to call it, that you've just sent into their lines where they have to chew it. They definitely can't leave them there. And hopefully it's a strong enough threat that they can't throw just a single nonsense piece at it to in a trade. So, you know, if they disembark, I don't know why I keep going to Drakari, but if, if they disembark Incubi to go and deal with it, at least that then the, dis, the Incubi are disembarked and you have some plays into that. And because you haven't traveled so far, because they're only Blade Guard after all, I should then be able to hit whatever hit the Blade Guard. So just it transitions the, the area of engagement from you know, just outside my deployment zone, sort of my half of the no man's land, into ideally the opponent's half of the no man's land. So that then, whilst they're dealing with I guess the trading and the brawling that's going on from there, in a lot of missions, the most missions, the primary objectives are on that middle line, at which point it's hopefully your side of the engagement zone. Does that make sense? If you can kind of cut the line in half between your armies, not literally in halfway of the board, you kind of push that line forward so that uh, no man's land is mostly on their side, then yeah, you control more of the space and that probably controls more of the objectives. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's my, my thinking. And there's probably a better I actually reason. like that answer. Yeah. That was a good answer. Well said. Um, another question I had for you um, is basically on deployment. Mm. Uh, you had mentioned a couple times you had this vision of like the Eradicators not flanking, but they never actually did that in practice. Um, and then you have these things like the Storms and the Collexes to go get you engage and you have rod options and things like that. Do you ever use strategic reserves or in circle? Or do you just deploy your whole army typically? I know you mentioned being regrets to go in reserve. How do you determine what goes in reserve and, and when? So, once again, the, the theory and the application was different. I think you know, in my head, I was going to start with quite a lot in reserve. Um, be it, I, I never never actually got around to working out the the, the point uh, investment required to put various rubbish units uh, in, into into strategic reserve. Uh, and as I said, I don't did, ended up not using uh, encirclement with with the eradicators. What I like to do actually is almost as a default, I'd put a vanguard unit in in the sky just so that the opponent had that to think about, um, if nothing else. And quite often they'll just deep strike safely somewhere um, and and be ready for the next the turn after or deep strike somewhere where they'd have a long charge that wasn't critical for me to try to sort of successfully make. It'd just be a nice to have. The um, Really my reserves play in most games was actually that Vanguard unit that would quite often come down turn three, or, well, and the uh, Infiltrator's guerrilla tactics off the board, uh, sort of turn one, just so that it forces the opponent to keep some screens up 
whilst not really costing me stuff that I need in the short term, if that makes sense. Um, I ended up on a broader deployment, you know, I'd largely deploying two nucleuses, you know, so the Khan's bubble of units and the chaplain's bubble of units, and then quite often, you know, some res- some effectively reserves in between them, so they could, depending on where, which way the battle went, they could they could uh, sort of divert left or right. So it was largely symmetrical, depending on terrain, of course. Um, and I just found having, I think a lot of the benefit of having so many, for Marines, so many units, is, is that the rubbish stuff, once again, talking about that threat profile, could then just go and put banners up whilst the rest of the army goes in positions to try to be in a position to, you know, to, to affect the game turns two onwards. So as far as reserves went, I, I, in every game, I think, pretty much, it was... Uh, one vanguard unit in the sky, and then if I went first, pull the infiltrators out straight away. Gotcha. I mean, it does make sense. I, I think a lot of times people get overzealous with reserves and such an army that has a lot of reserve options. But if the more you reserve, the less foothold you have on the actual table in the beginning stage. And I think you need to have that so you don't just get bum rushed because your white scars don't really get scary until turn three. And I've had lots of terrible experiences with it. Right when you play against a fast enough army, they just all of a sudden, you're then deep striking back into your own deployment zone, um, you know, halfway through the game because they just happen to have enough, be it venoms, fast, you know, odd I, characters I here and there. Mark yesterday, he was playing orcs, but mm. there was like thirty storm boys deep striking into his own deployment zone. Yeah. It was great, and that feels bad. <laughs> feels good for you. <laughs> uh, one last question I had before I open it back up to John was basically: you have a lot. Obviously, you did very well. You won with this army. Um, but then there's also choices like the Whirlwind, like the Ecolexis, um, things like that, the, the double company vets, the Storm. These are all kind of like, as you put it, rubbish units. And they're there for, in niche scenarios, they might do something awesome. Um, they're also important because sometimes you don't want to commit much to like get an engage or get your stranglehold or something like that. Um, so having them is really important. But in total, the Whirlwind, the Ecolexis, two company vets, and a Storm costs like nearly 400 points so we have a lot of a lot of stuff in in the junk category here do you think that's necessary do you think that's a good amount of stuff in the junk category do we want better stuff like more vanguard vets oh that's a very fair question um i think the there's a value to junk i think uh when it comes to action based secondaries and i took banners quite a lot actually again harking back to our previous point now that i think about it um and just having stuff that so it's a mix. Okay, just taking a step back. The, so company vets are great not only because they're junk, but they also unlock some random bodyguard plays, right? Which, with the right terrain, and if you're not playing an army with indirect fire, makes makes you feel slightly like god mode, um, much like John's sisters. Uh, of course, that takes it to extremes. Um, and I think that I used to run a list that I had a lot less junk in it, and I would worry that... You then do have to divert, you know, whilst you can get some Vanguard Vets, you know, Vanguard Vet unit is, you know, three company vet units worth of points, or two company vets and a storm. And they can be in three places at once. So to open up the ability for me to play an engage style if required, if I felt that the matchup, sort of a true brawling in the middle would just be a disaster, I need enough trash that I'm doing the things that, you know, that the walking into opponents' halves 
with stuff that doesn't matter if it dies. It doesn't hurt me too much. The fact that I am literally just feeding them these 40, 45 point, well, sorry, 40, 55 point units. Um, so that was a question I kept coming back to. Um, and, you know, one of my elite slots is filled up by company veteran units. So, yeah, I could have consolidated that uh, into more sense. But then I think the maths of 40K at the moment is that, you know, whilst Marines are good, you know, without access to forcing opponents to strike last, you're in real trouble, right? Um, you're relying on incubi not rolling over your leadership tests with you know, trophies around or you know, successfully screening out and getting charges on Seraphim or sorry, Zeraphit and uh, and Repentia or you know, whatever nonsense it is that Admech do. Uh, so <laughs> So I just found the value of having, and it includes stuff such as, I'm very worried about the sisters matchup a lot of the time, and just having more units meant that I can just subtly screen out more of the board further and further towards my opponent's deployment zone. Because once again, in much the same way that company vets are great for the likes of, and Storms especially, for, for the likes of, uh, of Oath, it's such a low priority thing when there are 10 units that can individually fight on an MSU basis or gang up to fight harder targets. But I just found there was a value in that um, over, you know, I ran 30 Vanguard vets for a long time uh, and then 20. Um, now, partially, this is partially uh, due to the fact that I really didn't want to paint another five, but, <laughs> but I, I was prepared to, but I decided that actually having the right amount of just jank to get in the way, often just block a charge off uh, or, you know, just protect a character here on there was, was worth the point. I'm personally all in favor with this choice. <laughs> so I'll be honest here. I take a little bit different approach to you, and that is that uh, everything fights last if you're still in the shooting phase uh, mm -hmm. because <laughs> combat is just after shooting. So my biggest uh, problem is the wrong word disagreement with your list and hey you went five and oh so this is this is not a you know an ironclad critique here is that i'm worried about you not having incidental shooting very much yep where something that uh and I, I actually noticed this the most in your troop choices and you have assault intercessors which you know what you're playing white scars it makes sense you know when you get to assault doctrine they're uh, what a unit is a, a five is 21 attack strength four ap2 damage two you can get all the buffs that come with being a Primaris White Scar. Uh, you can fight twice. You know, you've certainly got the CP for it, although I don't imagine it comes up often. Um, but I like the auto bolt rifle intercessors because one of the things I look at with your list is I don't like being forced to commit because no matter how MSU you go as a Space Marine player, I'm always worried that someone will have more stuff than me uh, because you have a relatively MSU Space Marine list. And I think that's a great approach and uh, it's one I try to take as well. But I do worry that sometimes Admech just have more stuff than you because Admech models are just cheaper than yours. <laughs> Dark Eldar, same problem. You can go as MSU as you want with Space Marines. You cannot take a Space Marine unit that is cheaper than, you know, than five witches. Um, so I worry yeah. that when someone puts something silly, like five witches on an objective, I worry that you don't have a way to kill it that's not charging it because random fire like eradicators. I don't know if I trust that to kill five witches on an objective. No, I think that's very fair. Um, and I ran um, auto boat rifle uh, 
intercessors for a while after actually watching watching you do so. Um, I don't know if it's a you know how we are all superstitious about how things perform for us. Um, I okay. found that fifteen most of the game AP zero shots just didn't do anything for me. Right. So the the and I know I agree that yes, if you get beat on five witches, fantastic. You know they should be dead. The um, now I don't disagree with the fundamental point. I, I do wish I had some more shooting in here, and I've looked at all sorts of. I was looking at suppressors and, and all sorts of things just to add a bit of volume, a bit of range uh, to it. And I'm not happy with the 200, however many points of my eradicator unit is. Um, but for me, it actually boiled down to how I decided to, I guess, force myself to play for it. If I'm forcing myself to play Stranglehold in almost every mission with this, I don't want to kill my opponent off an objective. I want to at range, I want to do it in combat because then they have to clear me back and it can't become a shooting uh, shooting exchange. So whilst, and I was acutely aware, I guess, of not putting too many points into shooting because whilst you cannot get a marine unit that is cheaper than a witch unit, the reality is that a witch unit comes in a raider and combined, you get marine units that are cheaper. So my, my way of trying, my, I guess, big picture view on how to tackle sort of the current, for example, Drakari uh, mechanized uh, approach to the game is that when you combine the contents of the Raider with the Raider, we're actually pretty even when the Raider doesn't have very good targets in my list because I don't have vehicles that matter. So the, the, the Dark Lance is shooting just Marines most of the time. Um, and so that is the way I try to tackle it because I also, having had a couple of practice games with the London GT terrain, it's actually quite, you can hide quite a lot. You know, in practice, when you actually get to the table, you know, there's a lot of angles that, and they move so much faster that if I invested into more shooting, the um, you know they're likely to win the angle war of getting uh, range and angles uh, onto my shooting. The um, the assault intercessors versus the you know having changing those ten guys into into fifteen shots for for ten points more is definitely something that I was quite a late minute. It was one of the last things I decided to to go for. Um, but I just found that the AP in combat mattered surprisingly more often than, than I ever thought it did in practice games. So just going into it in Kibai or, or whatever it is, uh, quite a lot of Marines out there still yeah, to this day. Um, and getting to that AP too actually mattered more than, and a lot of the time, let's face it, they die as, as screens anyway, right? So, so um, it's not something I'm comfortable with in in. You know, I had a list what I was looking at and spending the eradicator points on intercessors just to have more, you know, more bodies with intercessor shooting. But then I came back to that high toughness, sort of dreadnought night cracking issue. But so yeah, I don't think I, I don't know. I couldn't work out the solution. I guess in, in the list I had uh, to that um, attack by cape. That's the <laughs> <laughs> well, look. Well, I love attack no. bikes. I love attack bikes. Um, they just. A bit expensive, I think, for what they do, and they're not they infantry, right? Now. I like um, them when they were cheaper. Yeah, yeah. When they were cheaper, I bought my nine. You know that they're all <laughs> half, they're all half painted, um, and um, they're in the club. Yeah, it's it's the, the infantry keyword's so big, especially when uh, so I guess touching on the you know, why not attack bikes. It is random things such as being able to do actions with eradicators when they're not necessary. So quite often they're sort well, of a, big. a cornerback kind of piece where they're sort of sitting there. Prepared to threaten things that come within that 29-inch range. But until then, they can sit around 
put banners up, rod if necessary, um, or, or, or whatever else the, the thing may be. Or at least walk through a ruin, if nothing else. <laughs> I like it. Well, that, uh, that leads me to my last question, because you mentioned that you couldn't solve it in this list. Uh, do you have any changes that you want to make to your list going forward? Obviously, did very well here, so I don't think that change is necessary, but, you know, sometimes we will learn from victory as well as defeat. Uh, moving forward, if you plan to keep on playing White Scars, you think you're going to take this exact list? Are you happy with it, or uh, any swaps you want to make? Well, that is the $50,000 question. Um, I, I don't know. Um, I think it would be better, just looking at it from a tech, textbook definition of what better is, I think it would be better if one of the Blade Guard units was a Vanguard vet unit, um, I think realistically, um, just for that extra speed. Um, and to a lot of targets, the you know, better than Blade Guard. Um, so, you know, that can be done. I can free up 10 points probably somehow. I don't, it, as you'll know, with, M with MSU uh, Space Marines, you get to this issue where everything is relatively bare bones on costs. So the points you can play around with uh, are limited. Um, that is the, the main one. The, the, the shooting question remains, and I, I haven't got the answer to that um, yet. Maybe it is yeah, two Volkites. <laughs> um, but that is where I'm looking at, be it investing more into the Eradicators to make them heavy melter rifles, at which point they become a CP investment to, to function properly, but they do at least hit you know, sufficiently hard when they do get a, a line of sight and, and, and the right target. But uh, I think the main question for me at the moment is that um, it's just a simple thing of whether the three Blade Guard units or, or go to three Vanguard and two Blade Guard. Yeah, I think that's really... Um, when you're at a level with the list where you're, you're obviously very successful with it going undefeated at a tournament, um, now we're just kind of finding your place with it, finding which con uh, configuration of units you want to use. And a lot of that comes down to player personal play style and, and just experience and... As the meta changes, you're going to change this list over and over again over time. So uh, I don't think there's ever such a thing as this is the list and then it's finished. It's, it's lists are like a snapshot within respect to a whole bunch of other factors. But anyways, Raphael, thank you for coming on. It's been a pleasure interviewing you. Oh, pleasure's been mine. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. Check it out in part two, everyone, where we're going to talk about the matchups and how Raphael manages his white scars, what he deploys, when he reserves, what he should value in specific games. We talked about Jakari quite a lot. We'll go even deeper on that match, along with many others like Admech, Sisters, Chaos, all kinds of good stuff. For those of you who aren't aware, Raphael is one of our long-term War Room members. He's been with us for years, literally. So, uh, Raphael, why don't you say something about that? <laughs> You know, I was I was hesitant, Nick, uh, to, to to get involved into into that. Uh, you know, coming from different different wargaming, you know, uh, and never having had access to such a such a community, so many discussions, so much content, uh, and I learn a lot through osmosis. Watching other people do things helps a lot, and I think it's been fantastic, actually. Um, and I definitely wouldn't have done you know, as well as I did uh, without it. That's that's for sure. Very much appreciated. Well, you heard it here first, folks. If you want to start winning tournaments, you come to the War Room. It's really simple. Uh, check out part two of Raphael, and we will see you all later. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. TheArtOfWar40K.com